Welcome to the Smith and Rowland Show. Let's join our host, Alan Smith and Jeff Rowland. Ladies and gentlemen, you have heard about Batman. You have heard about Superman. You have heard about Spider-Man. I bring to you today's answer to the world's superheroes, Jeff Rowland and Alan Smith, the Smith and Rowland Show. Thank you very much. Now I will introduce to you Mr. Alan Smith. No, you left off superhero. <laughs> yeah, superhero Smith. Yeah, here I, I am. I introduced here you. I am. Yeah, here he is. Yeah, there he is. Here yeah, I superhero am. Superhero Smith. Let me take off my cape. Off. I need to take my cape off to do this podcast. Yes, oh, that's no, right. I'm sorry. That wasn't a cape. That was an apron I wear when we're milking cows. I'm sorry. <laughs> I thought it was my cape. Instead of leaping <laughs> tall buildings, you leap barn to barn. That's what it is. Yeah, that's right. So, well, I mean, you know, same thing. That's right. Same thing. What are you doing, Mister Superhero? I'm riding down the road, just minding my own business, lost in my own thought processes, and boy, do I have a thought to run by you for today. (laughs) Oh my goodness! Well, I have got my cape apron on. I'm ready. Go for it. Okay. There has been conferences dating back to when I was like in my Mm thirties. So that was like in 1812. And these conferences have been titled word and spirit conferences. Right. And for a long time, the church, at least through the late eighties, nineties into the turn of the millennium, the church struggled with that kind of a topic, whether Uh we're going to be a spirit oriented church or a word oriented church. Mm -hmm. I think I'm not sure that we ever verbalized it this way, Alan, but I mean, we were both under the impression, I think, that it was kind of hard to have one without the other. But, <laughs> well, uh, it can be done. Know, it can, it be, can done. be done. We have seen yeah. it done where it was one without the other. And yeah, that produces have. chaos. That produces total, chaos. Total chaos. But I wanted to bring that up for your comment and for you to talk to us a little bit about this union between the spirit and the word. Where did that idea come from? How have you seen it take shape over the time you've been working with churches? Well, you've heard it said, if you have no spirit, just word, it's said that you'll dry up. If you have all spirit and no word, you'll blow up. So Yeah, both true. So both true. So it appears since that Jesus is the word, it says in the Bible, Jesus is the word and the word was with God. So we see since it's hard, you and I are under this idea that you cannot separate the thought and the terminology of word and spirit. Now, even though we see that when people express it, it seems like, Jeff, that you'll have a move of God. Let's even say the Reformation. You have a move, the spirit of God does something, the spirit of God, it's almost like it takes the spirit of God to blow some things up so that the word of God can then be implemented. So I'm not even saying that you have to have what's considered. I'm not saying that you have to have a specific. I'm not saying that you can't have too much spirit sometime and then sometime too much word, if you hear what I'm saying, because I think that's all orchestrated by the spirit. But I do think that in the church of Jesus Christ, that you will have both word and spirit. And we've been find ourselves (laughs) in the church. It's kind of been a little bit of an argument at times at which and how much of one do you have? And then usually the ones that have dried up, so to speak, Christians that are dried up will fight to hold their position of being dried up. And those that are blowing up, they tend to want to fight for that position. Not understanding that the role, I think, when we follow God, 
Jeff. I believe that we do need to be aggressive and have an offensive playbook, but I think it's more about yielding than I do think going forward. When we yield, in other words, it's kind of like demanding somebody, husband or wife. Husband demands that the wife approves to him that he loves her, so therefore this has to happen, this needs to happen before I believe you love me. So you can put out a demand of what love is. You and I have discussed this topic often even in years gone by. Or you can just be take another position. Why, Unless somebody offered their love freely, why would you demand it? That's right. And that tends to be the ways of the Spirit and the Spirit of God, that God says it just so happens He doesn't demand it, but He does give us an option that we can. We can now express our love for Him. And so anyway, we've always had this constant battle of word versus Spirit. I think at times you'll have more word, and other times you can have more Spirit. That's the reason I'm saying it's not supposed to be 50-50. It just means you're supposed to follow the Spirit, and it's according to how the Spirit of God, what is wanting to push at the moment because sometimes churches need to just get out of the all spirit a little bit and get, let's study some word here to keep yeah. us you know on the rails so to speak yeah you know the intriguing thing to me about this is i do believe that you can't separate the word from the spirit jesus said that he was looking for people to worship him that would worship him in spirit and in truth so i don't think you can separate it but let me tell you what intrigues me about the whole idea, this the concept. And it also shows, I think, how weak we are in messaging sometimes. Because if you get down to the nuts and bolts of how you define what is spirit and what is word, that's where you get into trouble. Mm-hmm. Because people have a multitude of definitions to attach to, well, this is what spirit looks like. Right. Well, this is what word looks like. And both exactly. And those definitions, most of the time, are not even biblical to start with. Secondly, they're based off of a foundation of personality or expression. An individual's spiritual personality may gravitate toward one thing that looks to them like this is spirit. To someone else, it may not be that expression. So the definitions change constantly and they Uh change with whoever's trying to define it so when we get to that place we were talking earlier alan and we both know preachers that have really done this and it's really you know a manipulation to try to kind of help god push things in a direction we think god ought to be going in when that happens we end up in bad trouble not just with chaos in the church, whether it be on the word Uh side or the spirit side, but we end up with a chaotic walk in our own individual life with God, because Mm -hmm. it's, it's as though the Lord can't even speak to us anymore unless he does it in this particular box while we're shouting, let's take the boxes out and we're putting ourselves in a box. So I do believe there's a lot of churches that chase after helping God push something in a direction. And that can be quite nauseating if you've ever experienced that, whether on the spirit side or the word side. It's one thing that God tends to reserve for himself, and that's when something's implemented. When the spark of life hits something, it's kind of like God has reserved that for himself. It appears this way to me. So we can even, you know, we can initiate some things, Jeff, but unless the Holy Spirit says initiate, it's almost like our initiation is in vain. Yeah, it's going to fall on deaf ears, that's for sure. It's going to fall on deaf ears. In other words, we can implement something, but God has to initiate. 
Mm -hmm. Implementation and initiation (laughs) initiate is sometimes two different things. So I think we get into trouble there a lot of times in the church. And and I've said this before, Jeff, I, I feel like it's true. You test it. But the truth applied at the wrong time can bring death instead of life. Yes, now, you can. know that statement's gotten me in a lot of trouble. But it's, Some it's people a true say, statement. well, no, you just yeah. throw truth out there just because it's truth and truth will land where it's supposed to land. And nothing, <laughs> nothing, nothing. But the truth is you can have the best brain surgeon in the world roll somebody in the operating room and pop her head open, start to do surgery. And all of a sudden you look down and say, oh, he needed a heart transplant. He didn't. Yeah, that's surgery. right. He had appendicitis. Well, he didn't yeah. need brain surgery. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So you can apply truth of surgery, but yeah. at the wrong time and bring death to somebody and not life. Yeah, and a lot of right. people don't understand that about the truth. The mm. truth is the truth, but it is to be applied by the direction of the Holy Ghost. Yeah, that's right. So we got that's people right. just slinging out truth everywhere. Most of the time when it comes out like that, it's legalistic. The spirit does it, and it's not initiated by the Holy Ghost. I both know that's a difference. You can apply a word, which is truth. You know what I'm saying, Jeff? Right, but if it's right. not oh, directed yeah. by the Holy Ghost, it'll be out of season. It can and, bring, and it, it, could, can bring it could even alter people's direction at the wrong time. Oh, my goodness. And it can set the course for a church to follow after a direction at the wrong time. Well, you know, we yep. even now, right now, Jeff, have usually... Well, I hate to say it, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. I, evidently, I don't hate it too bad. You take the Mike Bickle well, case. The answer is Mike Bickle guilty. Well, Mike Bickle was guilty before you took up preaching. So is anybody else there guilty? Well, no, you're going there. Everybody's guilty in some form or fashion. Like with Mike Bickle out there in Kansas City, you've got people saying they're standing for the truth. They want yeah. to hear the truth. They're going to stand for the truth. Truth's going to come out and all this, you know, truth. Well, I'm, I'm saying for some reason, people are taking a more of a democratic view towards Christianity than yeah. they are a, yeah. what's my word? A theocratic. Uh, a theocratic. A theocratic yeah, that's right. Yeah. Theocratic view yeah, of Christianity. Right. And so therefore, it's, it's like I'm in a situation right now that a church has a group of elders, Jeff, and the elders are, they're voting on, they're not voting, the elders had to implement, are having to implement something within the church. But their constitution says something of this magnitude has to be voted on by the church members. Well, I know a lot of people will get some mail on this one, but the way you govern a church, you know, we got members voting. Some people say that's good and some bad. I have been on both sides of the thing. I think it's okay to vote if you want to put down carpet or something. I don't know. But then you got the spiritual leadership of a church. God set together some elders to assess the situations and the problems, and so therefore they need to make the decisions. Well, when you throw that big those decisions back to the congregation, you'd have to spend six months to educate them. That's right. On why you should have That's a good right. decision here, or you just throw it out here for a vote. They know nothing about what's going on. As a matter of fact, if they did know everything is going on, it would violate the privacy of some people that don't want their sins, That's if right. you will, distributed across church. So there again, in a democracy, the majority rules, but in a theocracy, it's not the way it is. But I think that what happens with us on this topic is for some reason, we think that to the majority ruling, voting on something in the church needs to be right because all the people have decided. But when you come to church, that's what always got the church in trouble in Israel with God is because the people thought they knew better. 
and God's already got his government set in place and it tends to work pretty good, then if the leaders make a wrong call, then they've got to deal with God on that call. Well, let me tell tell you how, here's how. You're in a situation there where truth cannot lead the way without it being completely disruptive and ending up in chaos. That's right. If all truth is shared with the congregation that needs to make the decision. Well, it's going to violate an individual. Then it will violate it. So it's wrong to do that. All right. Without truth, they have to be completely spirit led in order to pull it off. Uh Well, in the structure that God has given, he has given leaders to lead the people who are supposed to follow the people that are following God. And I'm saying in that setting, in that one setting there, you can apply that same thing across the board a multitude of times when you're dealing with a church that is chasing after the things of the spirit, it has to be done in conjunction with the government of the word. That's right. And when you're preaching the word, the word has to come under the authority of the leadership of the Holy Spirit or either way, it's going to be wrong. And my point is, Alan, is we've got a lot of churches that are stuck in this paradigm and because they feel stuck. And most of the times I go back to this, most of the time they feel stuck because inside of their own self, they have put definitions to what it looks like to be a spirit led church or a word led church. And if what their definitions that they have in their mind, if that's not what they're seeing, they begin to help God get there. And it begins to manufacture either word or spirit. And as a result, we end up with a corrupt mess. And most of the time, it's simply because we've not followed the theocratic rule in the church, which is let's get on our face before God, free ourselves of any personal agendas and seek God's face on this matter. Right. You know, that seems to be the element that's missing. And I think it's missing because everybody's too lazy to do it, just to be honest with you. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that takes work. That takes a lot. That takes a lot of sacrifice. That's a lot of time. That's something that you don't just sit around a round table and let's come up with what sounds good. Well, that's easy to do. You know, Mm -hmm. you can come up with a logical thing to solve any kind of difficulty, but how much time are we actually spending on our face before God? Because let me tell you, Mm -hmm. when the Holy Spirit shows up, There's a lot of times it's not going to look rational. It's going to not look like any kind of an idea that come out of a human brain. And if it doesn't, most people are left with egg on their face. And then they'll say, well, that can't be God. Mm -hmm. And it's because they have a preconceived idea of what it's supposed to look like Mm -hmm. with very little sacrifice of just really getting on our face before God, you know, because wisdom doesn't. God's wisdom doesn't always look like man's intelligence. I'll just say it that way. No, it does not. Yeah. It does not look like man's (laughs) intelligence. I mean, you're, and that's what'll fool us through our pride. Yes, sir. That's right. Listen, Jeff, there's, you know, to me, Jeff, there, I want to insert something here in this conversation about word and spirit, and that is the word trust. The word spiritual things, the spiritual world that we live in as Christians is we are motivated. We move through it, motivated and move. And through when the word motivate is to move. But what motivates movement is a motive. A motive is what causes movement. So our motive and what we do determines what type of movement we have 
with any given subject. If if your motive is self-seeking, well, guess what? That's how the movement will reflect self-seekingness. If your motive is to serve others, sometimes, Jeff, you can do a church. Sometimes you can serve a church, Jeff. This is an extreme, but I'm going to say it. Sometimes you can actually serve a church because you would serve that church better if you left. Most people don't consider that, but sometimes you'd be better off if you'd serve the church better if you left. If you you find yourself in a situation that sides are being drawn in a church situation and sides are being drawn and you are the central figure, you're one of those sides, if you can hear what I'm saying. You're going to do it because you think you're truthful and you're right. Well, there's where spirit comes in. Would you rather be right or righteous? Sometimes the righteous things to do is if you're causing division in the body, sometimes the righteous thing for you to do is leave. I mean, right or wrong? No, that's exactly right. You know, I'm going to say this. We entered into an age of mega churches some time back. And now that's a relatively new thing. There's always been, you know, large churches, but we entered into an age of mega churches And that is a welcome to all. And I think in a lot of ways that has hurt. And what I mean is this, the church that I attend, I have to admit that church is not for everybody to flourish. There are a certain group of people that we can reach and reach out to the church you attend. It's not for everybody. If we get so prideful as to think we're the only church, everything's got to be done this way then you're violating the spiritual personality of a whole lot of people. Just like I, you know, I'll I'll say this. I've been in music all of my life. I love certain sounds. I love certain styles of music. Not everybody likes that sound. Not everybody likes that style. What appeals to me there doesn't appeal necessarily to everybody. It's the same way I can worship to I'll Fly Away. There's a lot of people don't even think that's a worship song. I can worship to that. I can worship to Amazing Grace, some of the old hymns. I love that sound. I love the sound of harmonies and even a folky sound. And there's a lot of people who can't worship to that. And that's okay. And it should be okay that I can worship to that. I prefer that. So God places me in the body as it pleases him, where the expression that feeds my spirit, not my soul, but my spirit can be accomplished. And I think when we get to thinking that our church is the only way that it can be done, then we're not just short-sighted in our thinking, but we've almost become narcissistic as a fellowship. And we get so introvert that I think that that's an unhealthy position to be in as an assembly. And I think that violates that whole spirit and word thing as well. I do. Exactly. Well, I think it's something for us to consider because I tell you what's true, Jeff, it's kind of a fine line to a human spirit that sometimes we think we're moving in the spirit when we're actually yeah. moving in a religious spirit using the word. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's it's something Yeah, or that, we're moving in our own yeah. personality. So that I is sure true. Do. And I, it's that definition that needs to be really looked at very close. What does the Bible say it looks like to be spirit-led? What does the Bible say that it looks like to be led by the Word? And those are mm-hmm. the things that we should pursue and quit trying to attach an expression to either one, but just allow God to minister to the group of people that is sitting there the way that they can be ministered to. Well, you know, there's been this back in the 1800s, middle 1800s, maybe 1850s or so, Jeff, you had an individual, his name was John Nelson Darby. Darby was a 
contemporary voice in that he recovered the idea of dispensational teaching. And there again, I say he recovered it, even though most people don't realize perhaps that. And a lot of people fight dispensational teaching. And I've said it, and let me say it again, if you tolerate it, the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement, all of those have come off of dispensationalism because it was recovering the literal application and the literal reading, I should say, and then the literal application of the word. So the recovery of signs and wonders was because... uh, It's a dispensational dispensational thought in recovering literal application of the word of yes, God. Yes. In, and now you and I know, Jeff, that some of those in the dispensational camp, they went off the rails too, uh, oh, saying yeah. God wasn't doing this and wasn't doing that, but it doesn't, and, right. and, they're, and they're just off there, but it doesn't change yeah. all the truths and the contributions that's that they, you know, yes. that, that's there. But nonetheless, when we're in this recovery of spirit and truth back in the 1850s, you had Darby, and then you had this other guy, Edwards Irving was his name. Edward Irving, yeah. And Edward Irving was kind of friends with Darby, and they were both attendees at what was called the Powers Scored Conferences, P-O-W-E-R-S-C-O-R-T, I think, Jeff. If that's not the spelling, it's pretty close, Powers Scored. And there's actually Lady Powerscourt was her name, and she hosted prophetic conferences in the 1850s and 60s. And it's where the think tanks would get together and they would discuss the Word of God. And they were even discussing at that time that they believed that Israel would be returning to their to their land, homeland. Now, this is back, Jeff, in a day that Israel had not been in their homeland for 1,800 years. Right. So, I mean, that is really, that had to be by revelation that they were getting this Yeah, it was a word of prophecy. Yeah, it's a word of prophecy. And and so you had the recovery more so of the literal, and we say word and spirit, but I'm wanting to introduce to our conversation is literal word and spirit because there's a difference what good is a word if you if it's not literal? So if, if we're going to spiritualize everything, that's like I saw a bluebird and now I'm going to spiritualize that or something. So there's this thing of the literal word and spirit. And these guys were in their conferences and their think tank roundtable discussions. A lot of people maybe want to look that up that aren't aware of it. It's called the Lady Power Scort Conferences. So what you had is you had Darby and you had Edward. Irving, and they were both at these conferences discussing things. Irving leaned more into the spirit side of those conference. Darby leaned more into the word side of those conferences. But both guys came out of those conferences. And you got to understand, they didn't have internet in that day. They didn't have anything. They didn't have telephones. So what did they do? The only way they could get together to have their internet discussions was to have these Bible conferences where they sit down across from each other, and they actually talked about these topics is amazing to me, Jeff. But you yep. had Irving that come out of it, more spirit, and then you had Darby came out more word. So you had these two representations of word and spirit. Now, it just so happens that Irving, he had one of the biggest churches there. I think it was in London. 
He was actually thrown out of his church. It was a big church in London. I think it was London, England, Jeff. I think I'm right there. And he was actually asked to leave. So he went down, started another church, and then it ended up bigger than his last one. And you got to understand, this is mega. This was a mega churches back then. These were huge assemblies. But nonetheless, so you had Irving. But now the sad part is Irving ended up dying in his 40s, I think it was, Jeff. Mm-hmm. These guys must have been at these conferences in their <clears throat> 20s and 30s. I'm thinking Irving died in his 40s from some disease or something. Mm -hmm. So here he was pushing uh, healing and all of that. He died younger, and then Darby died later. And not that that's any testimony of anything. It's just kind of ironic. Mm -hmm. But these guys and Irving, I mean, he so pushed for the fullness of the Spirit to be Mm -hmm. in the church house of God. So we've had historically these battles for word and spirit, I guess you could say, Jeff. And we don't realize it today, but we're products of these things. And it's really yeah. odd. If you don't know your history, as these things reemerge, you think it's a new thing. It's just happening, which we know, you and I, through historical studies, that these things have been going on, and to a degree, for 2,000 years. That's but right. Since the Reformation, there's been a lot of truth recovered that was lost in the Dark Ages. Well, I would say this, Alan. What makes me a dispensationalist personally is taking the Word of God literally. I embrace dispensationalism. Most classical dispensationalists would not embrace me, but I do embrace dispensationalism because of the belief of the literal word of God. I also believe that the reason we have such vague definitions to things such as a spirit expression or a word expression and why we have so many different definitions is because people don't take the word of God literally. And if you take it symbolically, then it means whatever it means to you as an individual. And it's left up to private interpretation. Right. So if we go to exactly. the literal writing of the word of God, I believe it enhances the power of the yeah, Holy yeah. Spirit to be manifest in people's exactly. lives. That's why I believe in the literal translation of the word of God. God don't expect us to explain to everybody what he meant by what he said. He's perfectly right. capable of explaining right. himself. And he, he did a That's wonderful right. job in the written record of God's word. <laughs> I uh, think so. so Jeff, so, I'm going I'm to have to get off here. I got two trucks looking at me. Yep. Okay. Uh, looking for interpretation here. Yeah. So, buddy, we're about out of time anyway. <laughs> yeah. So, listen, we'll pick it up again here tomorrow. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. All right. See you, buddy. Thank you for joining today's Smith & Rowan Show. You can check out our website at kingdompropheticsociety.org and our daily unplugged podcast at smithandrowanshow.podbean.com. You can also join us on Amazon, Apple, or Spotify.